This is this Balaram deity I mentioned uh, yesterday. You know that you mentioned it after class. Oh, it was after class yeah. yesterday. Yeah. This uh, this the reason we ha I have this d deity here is, is is I got him before I became a devotee. Oh, in the middle, that's Balaram. You know, in the Jagannath deities, there's Krishna, and this is Balaram. And uh, I, I was, uh, I had taken a course actually, it was my, after my first year in graduate school, and uh, I, and my area of study was was philosophy and religion, religious, theological, philosophical theology, and stuff like that. So that was my undergraduate training was in a philosophy department. But I took a Hinduism course. And see, like these days, like the religion departments were like a brand new thing in, in, in uh, universities. So Temple University in Philadelphia had one of the first ones. And it was started by a guy who was uh, one of these spiritual seeker types and had uh, ended up uh, starting this religion department and he had an idea that that in this department that uh, while the faculty should be academically qualified they should also have some kind of religious or spiritual life like that you know so you could, they couldn't be just ordinary religious people they had to be academic uh, which means, I mean, to say what 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 is academic would it sort of instills in you a kind of critical self-awareness that that you whatever you're doing something you always look at it and see well is this valid is this right is, you know, that sort of thing that's. Uh, so anyway, that was the religion department. Anyway, I took a Hinduism course. And the guy that was teaching Hinduism happened to be uh, Swami Nikolananda. He was actually a, a monk, a Ramakrishna mission monk. Uh, and but he was in in New York. He, and if you read Prabhupada Lilamrita, you'll discover that when Prabhupada was in New York. Uh, he was the downtown Swami, and in contradistinction to the uptown Swami, that was the uptown Swami, was Swami Nikolananda, uh, who had uptown meant the Upper East Side, so rich, and kind of rich establishment type of people would go to his center, and Swami Nikolananda wore, when you looked like when you saw him. He looked like a, like a 1930s English barrister, lawyer. You know, he had a, th a three-piece suit. He actually had a pocket watch in the pocket, you know? And he dressed like that, would tie everything like this. And, and so he, he, but because he was also a scholar, he had a PhD, and he had translated all kinds of... Uh, texts and things like that. And, and But he really taught as standard Hinduism the, the Ramakrishna Mission's version uh, of, of Mayavad philosophy. See, the Ramakrishna Mission, I don't know if you know this history, but, but in 1892 there was a First World Congress uh, Congress World Congress of Religions in Chicago, and uh, and uh, at the Palmer Hotel in Chicago, and at that place, uh, there were all the you know standard uh, Western religions, but they had a few Hindus and a few Buddhists come. It was like a big breakthrough. The Hindu was. Uh, uh, Swami Vivekananda, excuse me, yeah, from the Ramakrishna Mission. And he was a big hit. And that's how, like, the first time you had any kind of Hinduism, 
in the West what was from Swami Vivekananda. Have you heard of Swami Vivekananda? No, he was, he was like, like I said, kind of the foundation <coughs> for what people thought Hinduism, Hinduism was. Hinduism was, you know. That was, he, were, he was, he was, he went to, to America and to Europe and uh, lots of his books were in English and everybody who studied Hinduism, that's what it was. And he was really good looking and he wore like these turbans. Yeah. And, like, so he was like the exotic Indian guy. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. He yeah. always wore a turban. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. He was. All those things, you know. Yeah. And so in England and Europe and America, he, and they started, you know, this Ramakrishna mission in America. There, were, there was, what after that, they had a center in New York, they had a center in San Francisco, a few other places. And then a, a lot of uh, 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 American and British intellectuals became interested in that kind of Hinduism, in, into this impersonal, because you, really you didn't have to believe in anything. Because God has is currently be described as no name, no form, no this, you know, basically a nothing, but a divine nothing somehow or other. That was so it was easy to 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 to, to switch switch to that, uh, and, and so that's that's what. So there were a lot of writers in the 1930s, Aldous uh, Huxley, uh, and then. Uh, uh, Christopher Isherwood, all these people that became like, that became like their interest. So that was the Ramakrishna mission. So they'd been here a long time by the time Prabhupada came. Uh, and uh, very few people in the West who understood anything about Vaishnavism. There was only one German scholar, Rudolf Otto, uh, who wrote a very influential book called The Idea of the Holy, who actually then later uh, went to India and, and uh, dis- stayed with some Sri Vaishnavas, uh, 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 Ramanuja followers. And that, that was the first, he wrote a book called India's Religion of Grace and Christianity Compared and Contrasted. <laughs> That's what it was called. And it was a shock to Christians that India had a religion of grace. You know that there was a God who could like somehow help you or give you mercy or something like that. It's uh, really only been the last few decades that in the West, especially like in academics or anything, that anybody even knows anything mm-hmm. other than kind of like the impersonal Hindu tradition. Well, see, the, and, and, and part of that's due to ISKCON. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is. You know, because because when Christianity, when 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 you know. <coughs> One person, uh, one academic, described ISKCON as evangelical Hinduism. <laughs> you know, trying to make people devotees and give Krishna consciousness. So they, it's, it's not, you know, systematically misleading terms in several ways, but that, that's, that's what it looked like to, to, to them. So anyway, this was, this was Swami Nikolananda was teaching this this Hinduism course, uh, standard Ramakrishna mission Hinduism. Uh, he, he was a he was a, uh, a scholar, and I, I, I took his course. And somebody there told me one of the students. He said, last semester we had a bhakti yogi come and talk to us. That turned out to have been Srila Prabhupada, because he had met when he went he was Indian in New York. And you have to remember that that before 1965, there weren't very many Indians in America. Because because there was from the 1920s, the, uh, the Oriental Exclusion Act or something like that kept people from from uh, 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 the East out of America. Uh, European immigration was okay, but not not people from. China, India. Yeah, it was really rare for somebody to be Yeah, you didn't see it. was very hard to stay here uh, for them. And it changed in, in 65. Uh, not for any 
reasons except I think that uh, America wanted uh, allies in Vietnam and Korea War be able to get, bring people over from, from Korea and later Vietnam was start, just starting up to bring those people over who were our friends and our allies. So they changed, they changed it and that's when you began to see Indians come to America. Mm -hmm. Prabhupada was able to get a green card and so keep coming back. Even then, it was super limited. Like it was only Indians of like either going to graduate school or of very high professions. You know, yeah. like lawyers, yeah. doctors, and that sort of thing. That's also why a lot of the Indian minority group in America is is one of the wealthiest and most educated because the original because the original families group coming over were mm -hmm. all of the like kind of upper class. Oh yeah, because because we began to see Indians show up at our temple. They're doctors or medical students, you know, inter residents actually, resident and doing medical residency, were the for the first group of people uh, to show up, and there were no Hindu temples, you know, like straight ethnic Hindu temples at all. Now they're all over the place, but we were the only guys there, and since many of them were were for from. Uh, uh, from parts of India that Vaishnavism was sort of their prominent religion, not exactly Chaitanya Vaishnavism, but very close to it, uh, from Gujarat mainly. Uh, that's, that's, you know, we, we began to get a, a, this Indian congregation. When we first had first Indians first coming, we used to, you know, the devotees used to tell them that they should, you know, quit everything and move into the temple. Because that was that was the model from from you know I was subjected to that that I should quit and and uh, I did move into a temple but I, I you know, stayed in uh, graduate school but the devotees thought that was just the weirdest thing in the world to do that and that this dropout thing came from came from the counterculture you know, it was also something that was imported and that Prabhupada wasn't particularly into but that's what that's what happened that's how he got a following. You know, because because the first academic book written about ISKCON was called Hari Krishna and the Counterculture, uh, and, and it was regarded as a, a kind of a, a, you know sub something of the hippie movement. Those were the, fir the first people, because people had ha had kind of rejected you know uh, the standard American values. Uh, mostly of you know, work hard, get rich, uh, wanted some more meaning for life, and, and they were looking for something. And uh, there was LSD, so you could have what looked like a, a spiritual experience you know, just by taking a pill. Uh, I mean, there there were people doing LSD, like Timothy Leary, who called it the sacrament. You know, it was. <laughs> <laughs> this is the modern world, and this is how we, you know, we we experience God now is better living through chemistry. That was Dow Chemical Company advertisement at the time, but they adapted it. <laughs> Did you finish your story about how you got? No. So any any anyway, I was in Nikolananda's class and studying Hinduism, and they said a bhakti yogi had come here before, and then. I was just trying to. Uh, one thing I learned from 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 uh, in that class was this idea of karma yoga. And karma yoga uh, was the idea that you should work, but not be attached to the results. Now, if you read the Bhagavad Gita, what Krishna is saying there is you sh you you work and you give the results to Krishna. But from Swami Nikolananda's version, if you put it in your pocket, you're giving it to God because ultimately you're God. So you're supposed to you're supposed to work, but you're supposed to be kind of not attached to the results with your spirit of renunciation. Right? This was karma yoga. That so so that summer, um, Sadamani and I. We weren't devotees yet. We had had a uh, one child, and uh, 
we uh, went to Oregon uh, to spend the summer with her parents. Uh, they're in Salem, Oregon. And I had to get a summer job to pay for things. So I, I got a job in a, a factory that made tin cans for the American Can Company. Because, you know, there was a lot of uh, crops coming in in Oregon. And so there was a big demand for cans. So I worked at this job. You know, later on I would know to call it Ugra Karma. Prabhupada called factory labor Ugra Karma. Uh, nasty work. <coughs> and, and there was a huge, you know, production line where this they'd spend sheets, put sheets of metal into machinery and tin cans would come out the other end. It was so loud. I mean, all those cans click clacking with each other, you know. It was so loud, you had to wear special ear protectors. And then I was at the end of this, this thing, and there was this machine called a palletizer. The cans would be coming off, and you had this machine that would line the cans up on a, on a big pallet for shipping. And the line of cans would come out, and then you'd put some uh, thin cardboard over it, and then another layer, then a cardboard, and finally you had a whole stack. And then what we had to do was move the, the it was on, a con on wheels, you know, you slide it out and put these big uh, cardboard sides on it. On one side you had, a, you had these big sheets of c uh, cardboard that were bent in a certain way so you could... There were guys on one on each side and you'd take two sides of the cardboard, it was one piece, and fold it. And then you had to have, you had the string to, to tie them together and you had a little ring with a, a curved knife on it so you cut the string you learned to do it very fast because you had to work the pace of the, <laughs> the, 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 the the production line you know and you were right at the end that's what that's what I did you know good pay union there was a union there you know so I was doing this every day you know I mean it was really hellish work but uh, <laughs> Uh, Prabhupada said factory is another name for hell you know? um, so I was trying to practice karma yoga which you, you, you just work for the work's sake it was really hard with that kind of work you know if you're doing something that was interesting <laughs> fun but if you're just like basically another machine in a factory you know uh, it was really, really hard, and, and and I told my wife, you know, I was I was trying to do this, and she was afraid I was going to get merged into the machinery somehow or other and get get hurt, you know, because I wanted to become one with the work and work for the work's sake. So anyway, that that was what I did that summer, trying trying to practice karma yoga, and so then uh, at the end of the summer, toward the end of the summer, we went up to Portland, Oregon. And there in, in, in Portland, they had an import house, like a new thing, I think maybe like a precursor or an early version of Pier 1 Imports. It was it was the original like cost plus world market. Is that what they called? Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know where it was, yeah. So we're going around looking at this, this, this place. And... Uh, that's where I saw this, this this little cardboard box sitting there. And I looked inside and there were these little figures. You know, there were little Jagannath deities. I didn't know what they were. I didn't even know they came from India. You know, but there were these three figures and some were white and some were black and some were yellow. And I, I looked at them, I picked them up. And, and I remember thinking, I really can't understand the mentality that made these figures because they had this they seemed to me both childlike and simple and innocent and at the same time very wise and it was kind of be able to, 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 to fuse together those kind of opposite traits you know so I was really fascinated by them I looked at the price tag on the bottom and uh, I could only afford one and so, uh, you know, I 
went through some kind of mental process, and, and I took Lord Balaram home with me. I just, I, I didn't know who he was. Didn't know anything to do with religion or anything, you know. And I just, uh, well, I had a desk at home, and I stuck him up on the on the bookshelf, and he was sitting there. And then, uh, then, you know, I go on, and uh, and. Uh, then in my third year of graduate school, I th- yeah, a year passed, and, and I'm studying religion, trying to figure it all out, and uh, and um, taking more Hinduism courses. Actually, Swami Nikolananda was gone, and there was another person, uh, Dr. Chakravarti, t- taught one Hinduism course, and then I had another one. Uh, um, um, uh, Surendranath Dasgupta's widow, you know, he did this big multi-volume uh, uh, survey of Indian philosophy, and uh, and and it was, the last volumes were done by his wife, who was, who was then teaching at temples. Also, academic quality. All three of those people when they taught Hinduism, again taught the Ramakrishna mission version of Mayavad philosophy. I say it's the Ramakrishna mission version because they don't really tell the truth about Mayavad philosophy. Uh, uh, because the Ramakrishna mission tried to unite that with, with kind of mission, uh, with uh, you know helping poor people and the kind of things that Christianity does, you know. Which is not part of Mayavad philosophy. I mean, Mayavad philosophy really says that you and I don't exist. The world world doesn't exist. None of this is really here. Mayavad philosophy is the idea that the Brahman, the absolute truth, has no energies. See, Vaishnavism is that God has energies and we, we are one kind of the spirit souls in the world and one kind of energy that there's the internal energy by which Krishna manifests the spiritual world there's the material energy where, where there's matter of non-conscious beings and then there's the jivas which is ourselves the, the, the spirit souls in the material world these are three energies the internal energy the external energy, and the marginal energy. Because in Vedanta Sutra, Sutra, the definition of Brahman is Janma Dasyataha, that from which everything comes. And basically what Shankaracharya had done to make uh, uh, Vedanta philosophy or or Hinduism more compatible to, to Buddhist people which had then taken over India for a while. He was trying to, you know, get restore, restore the Vedas, because because Buddha had just re- rejected all, all of that stuff. Uh, he, he, what 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 he said that that you know the absolute truth. Uh, although the begins the the Vedanta Sutra, which is the, the older text, says you know is that from which everything comes, basically denies this beginning definition. Nothing comes from Brahman. Brahman has no energies. That's what it really teaches. And, and by the way, when later on, when I was giving some academic papers about Krishna consciousness, this was news to scholars. That this is what actually the, this Mayavad philosophy teaches. I had to show them because they're used to the Ram. Because they're used to the Ram Krishna mission, kind of like not really telling you what what the real teaching is. Uh, because 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 they had no acquaintance with with Vaishnavism. In, in, in anyway, uh, in my third year of graduate school, uh, walking across campus. I hear devotees chanting Hare Krishna. That that 
that was my first real encounter with with devotees. Although I had two counters earlier, which I didn't really that didn't involve meeting actual devotees. The first encounter was seeing Srila Prabhupada when he, <laughs> on his way to but, from Butler, Pennsylvania to New York. He stop, had stopped off at, this is my senior year at the University of Pennsylvania. And, and he had uh, stopped off there uh, to give a class. He had taken a bus from Butler, Pennsylvania to Philadelphia, changed buses for New York. When he changed buses, he gave a class at Norman Brown's Hinduism class at Penn. And I was in the, the Penn Library, the Lippincott Library, overlooking campus. You know, the center of campus, there's a statue of Ben Franklin, who's the alleged founder of the university, and then this old building called College Hall. And I saw uh, what looked to me like an Indian monk walking up the walkway. And, and I couldn't take my eyes off of him. There was something about him that just was fascinating. And of course, an Indian monk was like really rare sight in those days. And I came home, I told my wife about it. Saddam and I had just got married between our junior and senior year. Uh, that was such an such a, a unusual thing to do that the Dean of Women actually had us, for, they had a Dean of Women in those days, <laughs> had us for dinner. <laughs> she was also an English professor. But anyway, that, uh, but, but I, I came home and I told her about it. I saw this Indian monk, you know, he was really, you know, very, looked like something about him was like, like he wasn't really there or something like that. And, uh, and then I, much later, I realized when I got a timeline exactly when Prabhupada was was there that that, that was that was Srila Prabhupada. Uh, so that was one encounter, and and, and the the other encounter was later. Uh, uh, just a year after I graduated, a friend of mine from college was getting married. And it was a wedding that had the word hippie existed would have been called a hippie wedding. I mean, there was no, you know, hippies didn't call themselves hippies. It was a journalist word, word really. They called themselves, well, freaks. <laughs> that was, the, but it would have been because we we were at, at this wedding. It was in Palton Village, and uh, and. Uh, uh, the the guy was a uh, uh, you know uh, this uh, he, was a, he was a classmate of mine with a, a Jewish guy with a big huge gigantic black beard and, and his wife was a, a black lady who was extraordinarily beautiful and extraordinarily pregnant <laughs> and so that was their wedding and they got some some. Bebop United Church of Christ minister to do the wedding and they're reading from the I Ching and the Tibetan Book of the Dead, you know, this kind of a wedding. <laughs> and uh, so then after all the ceremonies, we, we go into a, we go into the be a bedroom with a big, huge air, uh, water bed. And uh, and, and we, we, we smoke some marijuana and then uh, uh, Steve Gersman uh, says, "I want to, I want to, want to play you something." He had a record, and he played it, and it was Prabhupada chanting the happening record, and we all chanted because he had some friend from Buffalo. He had been up up at the University of Buffalo before he'd gone to Penn. Some old friend of his from there had had become a devotee, and had sent him the record. So we all chanted. You know, and I remember like feeling like hearing Prabhupada's voice, like somebody calling me from from far away. So there was like this sort of these things happening, you know. So so then I, I, I uh, those are the by encounters with Krishna conscious. Now I see there's devotees chanting on on campus, 
And I remember going to class afterwards, and I said to some of my fellow students, I was much younger than they were, by the way, they, they were all, like most of the people in the religion department, the students were priests, ministers, rabbis, or nuns who were dropping out of their institutions into the academic study of religion. And that I was one of the few people that was like coming up from undergraduate school. That was another weird thing in those days. <laughs> So, so, so they all regarded me as a hippie. But all my hippie friends, because I was going to graduate school, I clearly wasn't a hippie. You know, so I was on this sort of line, you know. So, so they, uh, uh, I see see the devotees, and I, I said to these guys, "What man? Did you see the Krishna freaks?" That's what I called them. Did you see the Krishna freaks? And they were like, what, freak? What do you mean by freak? I said, well, you know, everybody's some kind of a freak, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, Jesus freak, Krishna freak, you know. And they said, well, then what kind of a freak are you? And I said, well, I guess I'm a freak freak. <laughs> I was interested in it. <laughs> so, so any, anyway, I, I, then I went up to the next time I saw the devotees. They were just coming out every day and just chanting on the <laughs> campus. I went up and uh, I talked to them. And I got this, this uh, and then there was three people jumping up and down and chanting and one guy with, uh, with a little booklet. So I got this booklet from him and I wasn't so impressed. He seemed to be like... Uh, uh, a little uneasy talking to me or to anybody, but he was out there distributing books anyway. And uh, uh, I gave him 50 cents or whatever he was asking for this book. And the book was called Who is Crazy? <laughs> <laughs> and so they take some lecture Prabhupada and printed it up, you know. And, uh, and I read it, I really couldn't understand it. But then uh, the same guy, Gersman, who, whose wedding I was at, you know, a few years before, he calls me up and he says, Hey man, you got to come to this far out love feast. <laughs> so the devotees were having a Sunday feast. And, uh, uh, and they, they had what they'd come down from New York and they had rented a little row house out in West Philadelphia, you know, a little, little bit near the University of Pennsylvania. And uh, they had this Sunday feast, which at that time began at like 11 o'clock in the morning or something like that. Uh, uh, and so Gerson wanted us to come. So, okay, we, we, we would come. We, we, uh, we went down there, met up with him, and went, went to this row house. It was February. It was pretty cold. And... Uh, and uh, I don't know what to expect at, at all. And I, we, we have our daughter, she's like three years old, you know, at that time. And, uh, and my wife is actually pregnant with our second child. And uh, we uh, go, 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 there's double doors, you know, we could keep the cold cold out. And when we, the second, we have to leave our shoes on the porch. The second door opens, and there's this cloud of incense comes pouring. <laughs> they had so much incense, and there's spice smells, which I had never smelled before in my life, really exotic spices, you know. And plus, the chanting is going on. But as those doors open, I had this super sensation of walking into like an overwhelming splendor and beauty. It was like some you know, curtain opened and then shut again, you know? And I thought, wow, what is that? And I almost turned around and left, you know? It was so, oh, just something I couldn't digest, you know, that this, this, this sensation came, I mean, it was so strong. And then just lasted a couple of seconds. So then I go in, you know, and here's this this room. It's packed with people. I mean, it was a small little living room. There was actually a baby grand piano. It was a furnished house they were renting. There was a baby grand piano in the back. 
And then in a bay window, they had a Panchatattva painting uh, there. Uh, and uh, there were some devotees, and it was mostly full of, of hippie types and, uh, you know, like students in the place. We managed to sit down and uh, we uh, chanted Hare Krishna together uh, and uh, and I uh, I didn't, wasn't quite sure I belonged here but it was like uh, really attractive. Uh, then then there was a lecture and the, the guy that gave a lecture he was pretty stern, uh, and he started talking about the regular principles of Krishna consciousness. And I could see people are looking for the exit. <laughs> you know, I mean, people were starting to get like really kind of like uneasy about this stuff when he, he was like really in the kind of mode of chastisement. You know, especially if you say something like no intoxication at that point to people. <laughs> it was like really. Uh, because, because you know, the big questions were always, well, you know, how does Krishna consciousness compare to LSD? And the answer was, by the way, it's a different head, but it gets you there. <laughs> I mean, that was really the social location you know, of, 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 of Krishna consciousness. Uh, and but when he started talking about the regular principles, I thought, "Wow, somebody's telling the truth." Because by then I had studied enough to understand, you know, even basic Buddhism, you know, what, what the idea of, of, of being free from material attachments was like a, in both Hinduism and Buddhism. And actually, because I was kind of looking when I was studying religion to see what they sort of had in common at the highest level. And that, that was a certain degree of renunciation which made spiritual experience possible. You see it in Christianity and, you know, monasticism and everywhere. So I was surprised to see that the, these people were saying that. This hadn't come up with the wrong Christian mission? Never said a word. Never. You know, it's there in the text, but nobody talked about it. Hmm. No. Yeah. I don't even remember people talking about not eating meat. Which in those days, by the way, was quite revolutionary. I mean, things have changed. If you've been, been around as long as I have now, the degree to which like, the whole culture has come toward Krishna consciousness is quite extraordinary. <laughs> Because, you know, when I decided we, one of the things I did right away, the first things I did toward moving toward Krishna consciousness was stop eating meat. And, uh, and uh, my mother freaked out. Okay, well, if you and, you and your wife are not going to eat meat, that's okay, but at least let the children, you know, they, people <laughs> thought you were going to die. Mm -hmm. You had to have this, you know, they thought, you, you know. Did you say like yogurt was an exotic food also? I think, yeah, exotic, yogurt was an exotic health food. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <coughs> and, and so, you know, you were, to, to, to really, the, the, the way Krishna consciousness in America kind of got its, its niche was people had to be double dropouts. <laughs> you had to drop out from the main culture into the counterculture. And then from the counterculture into Krishna consciousness, and it took almost two steps uh, uh, to uh, to do that. You know, that's that that that's how that's how how it happened. And uh, and so, you know, then 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 I you know I began to get involved in Krishna consciousness. I started to go there, and uh, uh, to the temple and. Uh, and get get involved with it, and I got I got some beads, and I began chant, chanting Hare Krishna. One of the things I did almost right off the bat was somebody taught me how to chant chant uh, chant japa, and I chanted uh, uh, some rounds every, every day, and you know changing our diet a little bit, 
uh, well, more than a little bit, learning how to how to do stuff. And remember, there were no recipes even you know, for this kind of thing. We didn't even have a Hare Krishna cookbook. We learned how to make halava and you know, your a few things like that. Yeah. But the one that was my 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 three-year-old daughter, she was the one that really liked prasadam, and, and would would. Would if there's any left over, she would take it home, you know, and eat it. <laughs> so, so that was uh, that was. Wasn't she the one that said that she wouldn't eat anything unless it was prasadam? Yeah. So you guys had to start offering. We had to start offering our own mm. food and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that 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 that's what happened. So any anyway, I'm starting to get more involved with with, with Krishna consciousness. I had just uh, had my. Uh, 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 last finished off my courses uh, uh, pretty much. Well, one thing happened the last Hinduism class I took before I had actually gotten involved with devotees uh, was we had another translation of the Bhagavad Gita to read. I'd been through three different translations, all of them kind of Mayavad translations. Uh, this one was a little different, and uh, and um, I, when I was re- reading this Bhagavad Gita, I figured out I had to write a paper for this course uh, on uh, on on uh, the 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 Bhagavad Gita, uh, uh, and. Uh, so I was I was reading this this this, this Bhagavad Gita. What was the court paper about? I forgot. Can't remember. It'll, it'll come to me. It, so that's that's my phone, huh? Yeah. What 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 the what the Bhagavad Gita is actually teaching? And. Uh, I was reading the Bhagavad Gita again. Again, it wasn't a devotee's translation, but it just wasn't. It was more like a, just a neutral scholarly sort of translation rather than the Ramakrishna mission. And I thought the Bhagavad Gita is actually teaching that you should surrender to Krishna. You know? And, uh, and uh, I put that in my paper. At first, I repeated what the teacher wanted us to say, and then I put this in the paper that it says you surrender to Krishna. Uh, and for that reason, I got a B instead of an A. <laughs> I mean, this was another person who was like a big follower of the Ram Krishna mission, um, uh, a thing like that. So, that, you know, this is this this was another thing that happened when I decided that the paper was saying you should surrender to Krishna. I was sitting at the kitchen table with this book and this Bhagavad Gita in my hand. It was the the Penguin Juan Mascaro translation or something, you know. And I went, surrender, surrender, surrender. I looked up and nothing happened. That's kind of interesting thing to be doing, you know. So then I, you know, I, I meet encounter with devotees and I start coming uh, start coming to the temple and uh, and, and so uh, uh, this is how you know one thing led to another but the real thing is then that summer when I go to you know when I when I end up uh, going to the temple uh, at the at the temple they have uh, they had a I said this picture of Panchatattva in a in a in a bay window, and then one day I go to the temple and they had a plank over the painting, and they had uh, two Jagannath deities. I didn't know what they were, but they were they had a black one and they had the white one, and the white one was the same as the guy I had at home. I recognized him, you know, a little bigger, but made out of wood. And it was the same guy sitting over my desk. And I was like looking for some kind of sign. Should I get involved with these people? You know, I had mixed feelings about a lot of it. And, 
and uh, and, uh, and they were really in in those days in the mood of chastisement. I mean, when you came to the temple, they looked at you like you were like you know had cooties or something, you know, and you'd do something like blow out a candle and somebody would say, don't blow out the candle, don't you realize the mouth is the dirtiest part of your body, you can't do that. Or one time you come, the kitchen door is open and you look inside, don't look, that food's being offered to Krishna, you know, you can't look at it, you're not supposed to enjoy it first. This was the, the way they were always, even I stepped outside of the temple and, and there was this beautiful sunset and there was a, a, a girl from the temple standing next to me and, outside and I said what a beautiful sunset she says it is not beautiful it's horrible and if you think it's beautiful you'll just have to take birth again to enjoy it oh my god they were like that you know you had to become a, de- a devotee in spite of <laughs> Sachi got yelled at because he wasn't holding his bee bag while sweeping <laughs> yeah. he's like I'm supposed to hold my never yeah. put your bee bag down uh-huh. yeah it was like that you know what I mean it was like really heavy he's doing a bad job, job. <laughs> yeah he was supposed to hold his no he just shouldn't ever put it down he's like even while I'm sweeping the floor then never put your bee bag down yeah they do that and then that guy left the temple like a few days later yeah classic yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so that when I saw that same figure, the first thing I thought was, I shouldn't have it. You know, it's wrong that I have this figure because they were so heavy all the time. You know, and, but I didn't know what they were even. But it was the same guy, and that that was like very spooky. So when I get the chance, I'm sitting down again with the the, the, the temple president, who is particularly. <coughs> you know, heavy. <laughs> and I, I ask, who are these figures? Uh, and he says, well, I mean, it, it turned out what happened is, you know, if you look at the, the first temple to have deities, it was the San Francisco temple, and they had Jagannath deities that, 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 that were carved by Shamsundar under Prabhupada's directions. And, uh, and uh, their altar, they had a Panchatattva painting, and then they put the Jagannathidis above the painting. And so Philadelphia is kind of trying to imitate, but they owned, for some reason, the Jagannaths they had, which were about this big, they owned, they didn't have Zubhadra mm. for some reason. And, and so they just. Uh, you know, to get those deities at that time, you had to pick them up basically from an import house somewhere. You know, this is how they 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 first showed up among devotees. That's that's where the ones from San Francisco, Malati found them in an import house in San Francisco. The figures brought them back to Prabhupada and said, "What are these?" And Prabhupada offered obeisances. Mm-hmm. And she brought back one. She brought back Jagannath. And he said, he offered obeisances, that's Jagannath, this is a form of, this is Krishna. And he said, were there others? And she said, yeah, there were two more. And she went back and got them. Mm-hmm. And she's embarrassed to tell you, but she didn't pay for them. <laughs> she liberated them. <laughs> she liberated them. Because the shoplifting was a political act, you know. What's that? What's his name? Wrote a wrote a book called "Steal This Book." Yeah, <laughs> one of the leaders of the counterculture. His book was called "Steal This Book," and they no nobody would keep it except behind the counter of the bookstores. Abby Hoffman. Abby Hoffman, right? One of the Chicago Seven. Yeah, that was Abby Hoffman. So, so that that was you know that that they were imitating that. So there, but there were the, these these two deities. So I I sit down with the temple president. I said, "Who are they?" And he said, "Well, the black ones, Jagannath." Uh, he said they're a little stylized or something like that. But that's that, that's Krishna. He's Jagannath, Lord of the Universe. And I said, "And who's the white one?" He, well, that that's that's Balaram. He was Krishna's older brother. Uh, and uh, but he's Krishna's first expansion, so he's also a form of Krishna. He's none different. So I said, so he's God too. Uh, and and he said, yeah, he he's God too. So I said, okay. I, and then then here's what I like. I was, said, I don't know what to do. 
what should I do? I have him. I have him at home. I was, you know, 90% convinced they were going to say, you can't have him. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, I have him. What do I do? But he said, he didn't miss a beat. He said, worship him. Oh, and I was so relieved. (laughs) I worship him. So that's that's this same deity. I, 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 I took him home. And uh, I, I went home, and I took him off my shelf. Is um, over a, a place I had I studied, you know, some few books up there, and dusted him off. I mean, he's been repainted since then a few, a few times, but that's exactly what what he looked like. I mean, didn't change him at all. But I, I dusted him off, and he was fine, except that the, the the flecks of paint that had made the pupils of his eyes somehow they had fallen off. And I knew at once what it was, that he had closed his eyes so he wouldn't have to look at all my sinful activities. <laughs> so I got a little magic marker, <laughs> and I carefully put his eyes back, and then I moved him to the living room and put a little mat down, and you know, Sadamani helped me make a little place for him. And then, then I would sit and chant Joppa in front of him. And then we had a neighbor next door, we lived in, in uh, up in Mount Airy, uh, well, Chest, no, yeah, no, well, Mount, it was still Germantown actually. An apartment building, cheap, eighty dollars a month, you know, two bedrooms in those days. But uh, it was it, it was a it was a slum, uh, kind of, or very close to it. And uh, there was a lady next door that my wife had helped her write. She wanted to get in some some subsidized elderly help, housing was helping her to do that. And she was a black lady, and she was a Christian, and very upset that that her her uh, son had become a very militant black Muslim, and uh, and uh, so we, we you know we got a little involved in some of her controversies because we were helping her out in some ways, and then then. She, when, when I one day I come back from school, and sitting in front of where I have Lord Lord Balaram, there is a Muslim prayer rug. I recognize it has a Kabbalah the, the, in Mecca, and it's this prayer rug sitting right down there. And I said to him, "Where did that come from?" And he said, "Well, as the lady next door had given it to me, she had come by and she saw Lord Balaram." Uh, and my wife explained that I, I, you know, chant God's names in front of it or whatever. And, oh, she was so happy I found a religion. She thought it was just what I needed. <laughs> uh, and she's a Christian herself, but her son had been to Mecca on a pilgrimage, and he brought back this prayer rug, and so she was giving it to me. <laughs> so that's what I did. I was. It's, it's very nice if you want to make a special place. You know, you can take an ordinary room, and all you can do is put down a a special, you know, for your japa, for your worship rug, and it changes everything. So then I, I use this prayer rug to sit and chant in front of Lord Balaram. Uh, and uh, so this is this is how, uh, you know, I got, I got in, involved in, in, in Krishna consciousness. And then uh, then finally, uh, they, they moved again up in, uh, to a, a place in Germantown, and then I really, really wanted to practice Krishna consciousness, and really, they had no way of of dealing so much with people who lived outside the temple. If you really wanted any kind of devotee association, uh, you had to had to live with the devotees. And devotee meant you didn't ever. We never, you know, never, you never wore karmic clothes under any conditions whatsoever. I mean, you really dropped out. Even though Sudan told me she kept her jeans <laughs> yeah. just in case she ever wanted to bloop someday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that, that's what the, 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 the devotees really, you know, went out of their way to be separate. And in some ways you, you were so different. Uh, and there was never Prabhupada's rule, by the way. It was like something that... that, that uh, from the counterculture. Yeah, that the devotees got into. So that that's why we finally, like... By then, I had bought a house, and uh, we had we had uh, two children, and we moved into the temple. 
And so that was the only way I could get devotee association, and it was kind of rough. And my wife wanted to leave right away, so I rented out our house to some other people so she couldn't do it. <laughs> Who stole everything we owned? But anyway, that's another thing. Yeah. Pause there, like, see huh? questions or anything. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's just that that's so that's how Lord Balaram is here. And then, uh, oh, by the way, uh, these these Shalagram Shilas, these are the you know from this river in Nepal, the Krishna Gandaki River, where these kind of uh, uh, stones show up that are considered to be naturally already deities of Krishna. And there's a, I got a, a somebody's two-volume doctoral dissertation on Shalagram Shilas and how you identify them. But yeah, really, I want to read those. Huh? Go there's a the, new book coming out too called Loving Stones, which mm-hmm. is David Haberman, mm-hmm. and it's all about Gilbertan Shila worship. It's yeah. coming soon. I think it'll be really fascinating for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he was saying that the sh- the Shila form it's not like a deity form where you invite Krishna into the he's deity. already there it's, he's uh, in the that's yeah there's no difference no as soon as you get one it's a deity yeah, yeah they yeah. they say like you go yeah. into the river and you can chant mantras and the but rocks come up come up here yeah yeah. Oh, yeah there was one devotee who gave a whole story about how he went up this river it's like hard to get to yeah <laughs> and uh, and and then there's the, the, the whole thing about how to identify which exactly form of Krishna it is by the different kinds of markings. Because there's the, you know, these Nishringa Shalagram Shila has a big open mouth with a chakra in the inside that, mm. that we have in Germany that's like extraordinary. You know, these are all ball. These are all ball. Well, see, the, the, see the, the, I started with, with, with this one. Let me show you this one right here. Like here was the first one I got. And I'll tell you how that one came. It came of its own accord too. I didn't go to the river. And then the, these these two came later, but they're all Ananta Shesha Shilas. You know, Balaram's first expansion is the the uh, the snake form of, of Balaram that holds up that's the force of gravity. And so because of the, these markings here, they're all identified as Ananta Shilas. So this one, this one I got, I don't know what year it was. I was at GBC in, 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 in Washington, D.C. And I was at the temple one morning. I was at the temple and I was giving a, a class. It was a weekday morning. I know what the year it was. It was right when the first Gulf War was starting, whatever that was. You know. huh? And... and uh, I gave I gave a Bhagavatam class and almost nobody some temple devotees and there was an elderly Indian couple sitting in the back and uh, I give the class and the Indian gentleman comes up and he says my name is uh, Narendra Rajal I'm from Nepal and I'm very very happy about the way ISKCON is like spreading uh, uh, Dharma all over the world and I want have some gifts to you from my country. And he hands me this Shalagram Sheila. Wow. And that's how it came. I'm looking at this and I think I'm like, like somebody hands you a baby, you know? <laughs> he hands me this Shalagram Sheila. And he gave me some, some Rudraksha beads and some incense. And it turns out he had been the Prime Minister of Nepal. Uh, <laughs> He was the former prime minister. No big deal. <laughs> and then he asked me if I could take him around Washington, D.C. And this was just after the Soviet Union had just collapsed. And he said, you know, you are the, you know, the major world power now. And, uh, and then we had, uh, we had lunch uh, at, the, uh, at the Nepal embassy in, 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 in D.C. But that, that's who, where it came from. It just popped of its own accord. And I have one friend who was worshipping Sheila's, and I called him up and said, what do I do? <laughs> he began to give me some instructions, and so I, I began to, to, to worship the Sheila. And I carried him with me for a long time. Uh, uh, when he gave them, to, when he gave you the first one, did he tell you that it was Balaram? 
No, he just said it's together, and I recognized it was a Shalagam Shila. I yeah. didn't know it was it was it was yeah. a, a mention of Balaram. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Balaram again, mm-hmm. right? So he fit right together with Balaram. So when I, you know, eventually had it this altar and had Balaram fixed up and and uh, uh, devotee made this throne for him, I started worshiping along with the other, with the, together with Balaram at the same time. Now, now Sharada takes care of them. She's the one that does all that little painting. But I, for a couple of years, I was carried them with me everywhere I went and would would uh, would dress them in worship and worship and chant the Brahma Samhita prayers when I when I, when I did it. It was really great. I mean, they're very very potent. I mean, you, you can't believe it. The, the Shalagram Shila is very far out. Mm. And, and and you know there there are devotees like Indra Swami. <laughs> that's got a Sheila collection like you wouldn't believe. I mean, sometimes when they start coming, they keep coming.